Helo a chroeso i bodlediad yr Academy Genedlaethol ar gyfer arweinyddiaeth a ddysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy'n rhannu materion ac arferion arweinyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg yma yng Nghymru ac yn rhyngwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales, a podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally. Very warm welcome to you all to Leadership Unlocked. Um, I'm Tegon Ellis, I'm the Chief Executive of the National Academy for Educational Leadership and it's great to see so many of you logged on this morning to listen to our guest speaker, Dr. Paul Thomas. Hey, boys, Pellach, Hoffun Gavluina, Incherator Gwad, Ichi Heviu, Dr. Paul Thomas. May I please introduce Dr. Paul Thomas? Christo Paul. Christo, uh, yes, good morning, and I hope you can all hear me. I'd like to talk to you um, a, a, a very much about the, the notion of what leadership is and, and how it is. but. This is a huge subject, as you know. It's, it's a, a subject that is so, so, sometimes controversial uh, and sometimes um, too silly to, 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 to say, to, to say the least, in terms of this trying to get to simplicity. It, it's a complex environment. It's a difficult environment. Um, and what I've, I've entitled this is this, this this thing called mindless leadership. We've we've over certainly over the last kind of five years, if not ten years, f- fallen into the trap of looking for this wonderful panacea out there, these wonderful nuggets that we can take and, uh, and, and, and implement into our organizations. They simply don't exist. And, and my talk today will be um, one extreme of leadership, but there's something in the middle and there's something the other side of what I'm talking about. But I want to uh, uh, kind of create some form of discussion and debate. I, I desperately don't want you to think that I'm right, because uh, I'm not. Uh, every organization I go into, I get challenged, and I'm challenged back, and, and I discover new things as, as, as I kind of go on in my uh, my uh, my career. What 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 you see in front of you are, are a couple of pictures there, and, and I want to look. The top left hand corner is probably one of my most uh, kind of celebrated failures uh, in leadership. It's in Lloyd's. Uh, it's in 2017, 18, and 19, uh, just before COVID, uh, and it's one of those those experiments that that you go into Lloyd's, uh, massive bank, huge opportunity, uh, and you'll see there the kind of leaders that that were part of this process. I would say that even though it was a 12-month program, it failed within the first two weeks of implementation. So even though when we started this uh, the, this program in Lloyd's, it took us about a month or two months to get all the SLT, all the bank, all the safety, all the kind of um, governance procedures in place. Uh, but when we started it, it, it was two weeks, uh, and it, it, was, it was shattered. Um, simply by the notion that we were uh, 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 sponsored by one director, uh, who moved on about a week before we started, and a new director came in with a different idea. Um, she didn't want engagement. She didn't want uh, leadership. She didn't want a loss of control. Uh, she wanted it to remain the same, uh, but didn't tell us. Uh, but but, but what, what happened, very simplistically, is that if you can imagine on, on, on Chiswell in London, there are five floors. In every one of those floors, there are about 300, 400 people, they would all go downstairs into a kind of a canteen and atrium where they would then warm up their food, eat together, have coffees together. But it usually took about 20 to 30 minutes for them to actually to warm up their food because the queue could be right around the atrium and sometimes outside. It was, it was incredibly frustrating for these for these um, bank um, uh, staff. 
what we decided to do, what they wanted, wasn't the big stuff. It was literally, we asked them what was wrong. They said, can we have some microwaves on each floor so we don't have to go downstairs? Real small stuff. And it's always, uh, it surprises me where leaders, managers, directors think it's the big stuff. It's the pay, it's the uniforms, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the strategies, it's the operational process and procedures. But actually, when it comes down to it, it's can I do my job? In Lloyd's, it was simply um, uh, chairs that didn't work, laptops that didn't work, eight people around a, a four-person desk, um, the IT system dropped at certain points. But ultimately, it was can I warm my food up? Um, within five minutes or 10 minutes of the microwave that's on my floor so that I could eat, have you know proper relaxation time and then go back to the, to the work environment. I did it. Within, it was an easy one. We bought five microwaves for every floor. We had them pack tested. We put them in the, on, the, on, the right te- on the right tables. We, we did all the distribution properly. It's an open plan office. So it's eight o'clock on a Wednesday morning, uh, the first week of operation, the morale was absolutely through the roof. They had their microwaves, their, their team-making facilities. It was phenomenal. The energy in the system was, was, was just breathing, palpable. Um, and, and that was nine, so, so nine o'clock. As you can imagine, everybody's in. Energy levels are high. We, they've been listened to. They've been engaged. There's been some action, some real proper leadership going on. Uh, by, I would say, about 20 past 11, it was the lowest level of energy, of morale, uh, of motivation that I'd seen in the, in the last two years. Why? Because in the meantime, in that kind of two-hour gap, group property or the people in charge, the kind of caretakers of the building, had come in, saw the microwaves, uh, and actually removed them uh, from every floor. They did it without one person. We didn't know they'd taken them out. So they'd removed these five microwaves and tables and equipment without anybody seeing it in an open plan office. I still today say they work for special forces because they did it in such a, you know, a, an amazing way uh, without anybody being seen. As you can imagine, uh, I go to group property, the director, and I say, what on earth? What, what have you done? Why are you doing this? And, it, and, it, and, it's, and I remember his answer at the time, you haven't followed procedures. And I said, but we're trying to engage staff. We're trying to, it doesn't matter. You haven't followed procedures. You haven't filled the form in. I said, what form? Nobody's informed me of a form. Yeah, well, you should have known there's a form. You have to fill it. I said, can I fill it in now and put the microwaves back? Yes, we can, but it takes 76 days for those microwaves to be returned. I said, where on earth? What? I said, they're my microwaves. I bought them. Doesn't matter. That's the process. That's the procedure. So if you can imagine, I'm setting this up, this little story, because I'm aware that what we're fighting against is a system, is a process, is a culture that keeps drawing us back into the dark ages, that keeps bringing us back, because that's the way we've always done it. And the mindless stuff now, and I, and I, I wrote a little um, article for LinkedIn, um, was, was really that, that we're going into the mindfulness, we're going into the meditation, we're going into the self-help, we're going into the mental health and well-being stuff. All about the individual, the employee, the teacher in the front line. What we're forgetting um, is that actually it's the organization, it's the culture, it's the structure, it's the systems that's creating the problems in the first place. Where we're going in and now blaming frontline employees and saying, well, look, if you're not feeling very well or you're overstressed, then well, look, download the app on mindfulness and meditate a bit more and you might be a bit better. But what, it's not the answer. We're treating the, the symptoms of the cause. And the cause is we're still in the 19th century. We're still trying to manage people. We're still trying to control what it is they do, monitor what they do, and assess what they do, which is really all unhelpful, uh, which is all causing major issues in our organizations. 
And I want to put that out there because I'm going to kind of talk through it in a minute. Uh, but that's the, that, that I want us to question what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And is it actually having a, an impact on our students, um, on our customers, on our clients, and, and mostly on our staff? Are our teachers you know, excited by coming into the workplace? Or are they kind of just simply, I mean, the more experienced ones that I kind of deal with, and we do one-to-one sessions with teachers, but um, the experienced ones ignore now all the initiatives. They go, I have no idea which, which curriculum I'm following or what, what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. I'm just going in and shutting the door. I remember 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but I'm just allowed to get on with teaching and I thoroughly enjoyed it. We put so many rules, regulations and procedures in place that we're dragging them constantly to, to, to the left and not allowing this creativity and innovation. We're not allowing leadership in the, in the classroom and perhaps we're become managers. And I would say, by the way, that if we manage, and I will give a definition in a minute of what management leadership is, uh, if we are still managing people, we are telling them what time to come in, what time to go home, what to do, where to do it, we monitor, we audit, we inspect, we are still in the dark ages of the 19th century. If we don't instill trust in doing something different, then, then we're, we're, we'll never get the real human stuff. And we're in this mindless leadership perspective. So that's my setup. You'll see in the middle there, Sam Oakton, George North. That's a lovely example of where, because we were part of the British Lions, we desperately wanted to get them um, to think differently and to lead differently. And Sam, in, in, in his brilliant and authentic way, said, look, I'm about to lead the British Lions and I have no idea who plays for Scotland, England. Uh, and, and he said, I don't know their names. I said, surely, I mean, you played against them. You, you know your opposition. No, nope. I only concentrated on me. I do not know the other players that well, you know, I might know them by name or by sight, but not. I'm thinking, my goodness me, brilliant. So he was starting from this notion of how do I lead these people, gain respect, uh, and, and, and ultimately it was about just being authentic. The, the picture you go down on the left, and, and, and some of you may, may hopefully not have seen this, um, and it's a housing association uh, in South Wales, I won't mention them, um, but it was a, it was a, a, direct, a senior executive, a, a chief executive's idea of how do I get my staff, my team, to um, to really think about the values of what we do and how we do it and the impact we have on our on our communities. So he thought, well, okay, what I'll do, I'll I'll pay, you know, I'll, I pay twenty three thousand pounds for a mural to be put on the wall with the values and the behaviours and the vision of what they wanted to do um, as an as, a, as an organisation. Now, my question to you is. Is that okay? Is that right? Is that uh, a, a good spend? Because every time they sat in their canteen, around them were these lovely pictures and these comments of the of of the uh, the, the community that they were they were kind of in twenty three thousand pounds. I mean, and, I, and I'm sure whether you can unmute or, or not, or whether you can jump in, but um, have a think. Is that a good spend of twenty three thousand pounds in a charity in a trust? In a, in a social housing perspective, in order to make sure that their management team, the 48 uh, kind of senior managers, uh, um, um, get it and got it and lived those behaviors and values. Because everywhere I go, I see it. I, I, even in South Wales Police, where I was at yesterday, um, the, the, on the wall are their behaviors and values. Uh, not in a mural, but, but, but in, in a printed poster form. Is it a good way of getting people to believe? In, in that process, and um, can, if somebody wants to jump in with, with a with a, with an answer, the question is: Do you think it's a valuable uh, um, it, uh, impact? Do you think the twenty three thousand pounds that was spent on getting somebody to paint that mural with those behaviors and the values was a good spend? Was value for money? Did it actually impact, make a difference to the to the actual um, 
um, um, culture, the leadership of that organization. So we've got a few answers coming in. Only if the values are then referred to and used for making decisions. Uh, yeah. And a, and a no, engage the team. They probably would do better. Uh, there's no issue with having them on the wall, but just because they're on the wall doesn't mean they're at the heart of the organization. Great. Brilliant. I, I'm, I'll, move, I'll move on quick. I know I'm running out of time, but for me, it, it's, it's a great uh, uh, example of where you have an executive, a leader, a director wanting to do the right thing by saying, right, OK, let's remind people how good we are. Let's remind people what our direction is. Let's put it on the wall. Let's make sure that we talk about it. Uh, and it did for about two weeks. And what happened then was most people uh, then used it to beat up the chief, chief executive and say, well, actually, we don't follow that value. We're not very open and transparent. Uh, you just had a secret meeting. And by the way, that £23,000 that you spent on that, on that painting, I could have bought three boilers uh, and serviced a, 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 an entire house uh, for our community. I could have actually paid for a service engineer to, to solve these problems. I could have got the grass cut in for an entire community for 20 So it, it suddenly turned very quickly. Uh, and what I want to cover out there is that it doesn't matter what we do as leaders or managers, there's always an unintended consequence. There's always a negative to the positive. It might not be that we don't see it, but in complex systems, you cannot just have a positive. There is something behind it that will bite. Uh, there's something in there that will that will not give you exactly what you want. And, and I'll explain that in a little bit more, more depth in a minute, but thank you for that. So my structure today, very quickly, leadership 23rd century. Um, I want to get into this thing called, you know, again, excuse my, my, my language, but the management bullshit, the nonsense that we put out there, the vision statements, the strategies, the performance management. I mean, I keep saying to, to people like the police and the fire service that I was in yesterday, you know, what do you mean by high performance? What do you mean by high performing teams? Uh, what do you mean by engagement? What do you mean by, by an effective uh, engagement strategy? They're lovely words strung together, but they're meaningless. They absolutely have no meaning unless you can really nail them down and explain them to a five-year-old. And most people can't. Uh, most people will rely on, I mean, we, I've seen emails from, that circulate from senior execs to, to staff uh, explaining the next 12 months, 12 months and the past 12 months performance. Nonsense stuff. I mean, if you want to read a lovely, revealing book, and and I, I dare I say, don't read it because it, it, it almost kind of makes you worried about what you say and how you do things to to, to a large extent. Is is a book called Management Bullshit? Um, Andre, Andre Spence was was literally um, looked at and, and analysed the words that we use in business and tore them apart in terms of this empty stuff that we put out there. So let's have a quick look at that. But really, what I want to get to is the question: Your leadership. What do you mean by leadership? How are you going to lead in the 21st century? Uh, and how good are you? And perhaps, you know, the, the realization of perhaps you shouldn't be leading people uh, is also again a, a lovely realization. Um, uh, this is this is a, a very lovely, rich picture. It's, it's a wonderful. This is a conversation that we had with NHS senior executives, chief executives, uh, it, it, um and I love this because this is a conversation they're having about putting in the systems. Let's make sure we have more rules. Let's control people by having an audit. Let's have weekly inspections. Let's throw staff around so we swap them around so they can do 360 appraisals. Let's have a performance. So all of that lovely top table, you can see them, you know, they've, they've drawn it out. The, the, the diagram is there. The flow and the system is, is wonderful. This is Lloyd's. This is the police. This is special forces. Any organization they look at, they just look at the top table, what's on the table, sorry. Underneath it, what you have is utter chaos. You have the real issues, the difficult stuff, 
um, CEOs being named and shamed and teachers and head teachers being you know, sacked because of certain things that failed and going into inspection, all this um, stuff. It, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly powerful to be drawn to the top table and not to what's underneath. Why? Because what's underneath is the taboo subjects. What's underneath is the difficult subjects. What's underneath is, is real, what I call leadership, uh, and not uh, management, which is the top table stuff. The management stuff is easy. If you just want an easy life and forget about what the stuff underneath, that's fine. You won't have high performance. You won't have engaged staff, and you won't be very happy uh, in terms of your, your, your legacy uh, as an individual. But, but underneath stuff is really tough it's honestly you you can be exhausted by solving one or two things under the table and the next morning you have to start again because the stuff doesn't go away it's human stuff it's human issues uh, and not not the kind of simplistic stuff that we see in it but i will keep coming back uh to this picture um one of the things we talk about and these are the kind of this is the the bs words um, and I love them. You know, this notion of resilience, you know, we, we, what is it? What do we mean by it? Well, it's mental resilience. It's mental toughness. It's, it's that notion of, you know, sleep. Let's, let, let's uh, make sure our sleep patterns are really well. We eat properly. We drink fluid during the day. We have space in which to meditate. We have the right questions and well, all desperately needed now in the 21st century. But we're not asking why. Uh, and, I, and I would love us to get into this notion of oh, 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 why do we need more of this now uh, that, than we did perhaps 5, 10, 15 years ago, or has it always been there, eh? but we've just simply ignored it. This notion, again, we, we talk about passion. Passion for me is the ability to get up in the, in, in, in the morning and go, oh, God, I'm so excited about what I'm going to do. I am really excited about the, you know, the difference I make to a child, to a student, to my staff, to my team, to a customer, to a client. That's passion. That's If you get that in your organization, you're on a winner. Um, it, it, and every organization I go, to, go into, what happens is we wear away the passion by putting, say, well, actually, yeah, you can do that, but you have to fill this form in first. You have to follow these procedures. By the way, there's a discipline and grievance procedures you have to look at. All of this stuff erodes what it is that we're trying to achieve. Sometimes necessary, but it isn't the prime focus of what we're trying to do. We get the purpose. What is our purpose? Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to throw this out there again for the, for the questions. And, and again, um, you know, put, put it in the mute. And if somebody could tell me what's in the, uh, in the chat. But what is, what is our role as a leader? What, or, or as a man? Let's stick to leader. What is our role as a leader? What are we meant to do in the workplace? What are we meant to do every day uh, as a leader? What's our sole job? Any definition, any idea of what it is that you do every day to make your job as a leader important uh so we've got in the chat Paul. we've got to enable other people to do their role and enjoy it lovely fun brilliant enable others to flourish excellent inspire ah yeah gotta be there haven't I? yeah sounds good yeah. inspire our workforce motivate and lead by example make a difference listen yeah. And inspire a team to bring out a shared vision. Yes, lovely. Fulfill the moral purpose. Improve seeing people how they are and notice if things are not okay. Listen and also listen to what is not being said. Yeah, right. Brilliant. Keeping the positivity. Leading by example and learning from others. Building the school community. It's lovely. It's it's funny because... What, what, what's being thrown back, you know, motivate, uh, you know, uh, communication, inspire, 
uh, enable, uh, engage, or again, or all the BS words, or all the kind of words that, well, okay, so what do you actually mean by engage? What do you actually mean by inspire? What do you mean by, you know, re removing blocks? Or it, it's, it's a lovely kind of uh, um, uh, management stuff that we, that we still don't grasp. We, we still don't, we might, sorry, have an instinct of what we mean by engage. And we, we know what we mean by, you know, do we actually listen? There's a great guy called Chris Maggs, who was the children's social services at Swansea. Uh, every year he would go out to his um, social services, almost kind of 300 of them, and have a one-to-one. -one. Do you imagine, you know, that's almost kind of 300 hours spent every year listening to, to, to members of his team, staff. And I, when he said, look, every year I engage, I really do listen to my teams. And I go, Blink, that's brilliant. How, do you, you know, how on earth do you find the time as a, you know, the, the, as a senior director to do your job and that? He said, well, that is my job. I went, okay, brilliant. When I went to see his teams and talked to his staff, um, they thought it was nonsense. They actually said, oh, yeah, he comes around every year. We have to kind of waste an hour of my social services time, let, you know, talking to him uh, about where all the problems are. I said, look, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's called engagement, isn't it? That, yeah, but he, he listens, but it doesn't do anything. So every year I talk about the same things. So, so you know, you know yeah, I don't mind that doing the second year. Perhaps he's forgotten about me. But the third year, absolutely not. I'm not getting many time. I, I ignore him, I, or I talk nonsense to him. And, and so there's, the, whilst active listening is important, it's also important to, 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 to do stuff. Sorry, I'm going off the subject. For me, the definition of leadership was, was written by, um, in, in 2019, uh, sorry, 1919. Um, so, or, you know, well over a century ago. Uh, and the definition of leadership was, your job as a leader is to create more leaders. Your job as a leader is to create more leaders not followers, you're not there to inspire, to motivate, to, your job is to create more leaders so that you can go home knowing the organization, the school, the community um, is, is being run by leaders. You want people to feel empowered, to feel, to, and that's why I struggle when we work in organizations, particularly in Wales, uh, we have titles, an assistant director, director, associate director, manager, team manager, team leader. We love to give ourselves titles of ownership that we're actually, well, I'm in charge of five people. I'm in charge of 20 people. It's irrelevant. You're not, uh, by the way. Uh, your title might say it is, but, you but if you have a title of manager or you think you're managing people, um, then again, you're in the 19th century. You, you can't control um, your own children. <laughs> you know, you put in rules and some boundaries and some expectations. But that's not control. That's trying to inculcate a set of values that, that they behave to. But, but ultimately, you're not controlling um, uh, people ever. Uh, and that, that's a notion, again, that we've almost destroyed in most organizations, that what you're trying to do is to influence. But your sole job is to create more leaders. Uh, and, and how many leaders have you left? Your legacy is to create a, 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 you know, a, you know, if you've got 50 people in your team, you should have 50 people leading or the ability to lead uh, because your energy is put in that direction. But ultimately, what it's got to be is fun. And, and I'm using this word as, again, as a throwaway jargon word, but fun is energy. Fun, and I'm not talking about the, you know, dress up days and, you know, going out type of fun. I mean, fun as in enjoying the workplace, enjoying the outcomes, getting the results that, that you, you, you see, even in the qualitative results, you know, the fun, the fact that somebody, uh, and I worked in school in, in Monmouth, again, I won't mention names. Um, and I was surprised. We had a, we had a head teachers meeting uh, in the comprehensive, so in the actual school itself. And I remember these group of students outside knocking the window. Now, these are all senior leaders, uh, unknown faces. And these probably, uh, probably 12, 13-year-olds uh, knocked at the, four or five knocked the door and walked in. 
Um, and, and of course, the head teacher said, oh, yeah, of course, come in, come in. And they come in and said, oh, we just want to say hello. <laughs> and I'm looking and I'm thinking, I would never have had the confidence, the ability to walk into a room uh, and just simply be that lovely, uh, uh, confident student at the age of 12 and 13. It's brilliant. And, and, and the head teacher said, oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, we missed you uh, uh, this morning. Uh, we just thought we'd come in and say, oh, because, you know, we wondered where you were. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely lovely. And, and when they left, they said to their teacher, that was amazing. He said, well, it's confidence. Did, did it, I want to remove the, the level of fear in actually making mistakes, the fear of, you know, walking into a room with some strangers and some ugly people like me sit, sitting in the room and, and, and enjoy that, that, that moment. So that's, again, something I want to go, go into and challenge you with. Um, this is something I, I desperately want to leave you with, because this is almost kind of the last, the last slide first type of thing. Those three elements of, of high performance, of great leadership, great organizations, doesn't matter what context you're in, those three elements of trust, risk, and creativity. Without trust, trust, you cannot take risks, you cannot adapt, you cannot innovate, you cannot be creative. Without trust, you will have no foundations to grow your leadership. Without trust, uh, you, you cannot have uh, um, confident, healthy, well-being type of individuals. Without, because trust creates psychological safety. With safety, there's this element of they can say what they want, they can do what they want within boundaries and within reason, but they can they can they can say well that's not right paul you know i know you want to do that but that's not what we are this is what we want to try and develop and this is our vision but trust is incredibly fragile it's it's easily broken um and once it's broken it's almost impossible to bring back and and the caveat to this is if you manage people tell people what time to come in what time to go home you monitor them you audit them you do all of this kind of wonderful stuff that we call management you instantly break trust you're ruining the, the notion of trust. And remember what I just said, it, once you've broken trust, it's incredibly difficult to bring it back. It, 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 it's, and trust, by the way, because we're in the human systems, uh, our body language, um, an eye movement, a comment, a lack of comment, can travel 16 times faster than anything that we say. So I, as you can imagine, if I don't really trust an individual and I walk up to them and I'm saying to them, oh, God, of course I trust you. Yes, of course I think you're wonderful. What I, my body language is seeping. We see this in, you know, the FBI. We see this in, in the, you know, the British Intelligence and Secret Service. They look for body language more than what you say because your body seeps. Your body will give away what it is you actually think and believe. So you've got to be, again, careful. Uh, and that's where I go back into this caveat of always being authentic really trying to believe what it is that you're trying to deliver is really crucially important. If Welsh government come in with a, uh, a, um, another process or a, another way of doing stuff and you don't believe it, believe me, your teams will know instantly you don't believe in it. It doesn't matter what you say or how you couch it in this wonderful PR language. Not really. So the notion of trust is fundamental. They, they need to trust you as, as an individual. You need to be there for them and you need to deliver what it is you say you do. Um, and, and, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, I went to China to, to study trust. It was part of my doctorate. Uh, why? Well, because they simply had a word for it. It's called Guanqi, social trusted network. They have one for what we have three. But it's fundamental to their, their business. It's fundamental to the way they operate. Uh, and Guanqi for them is important. You're in it and they trust you or you're not. And if you're not, it takes an age to get back into it. Uh, but in the UK, well, because when I was there, I came back and thinking, well, goodness me, at least in the UK, we trust people. You know, it's quite overt, isn't it? When I came back into the UK, absolutely far from it. Uh, we pretend 
that we trust people. We pretend that that what what you know what we what we're doing is 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 putting safety and psychological safety on and trusting them fully. But then we're checking them. Uh, and then we the, then we you know they come in at five past nine in the morning and they should be at nine. We don't say anything normally. We we just we 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 start to chip away at the notion of trust uh, because. Because in the UK we 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 struggle with the, with the honesty bit. So, well, why did you come in at five past nine? Or, or why did you come late to my meeting? It's, it's really quite disrespectful. Well, I find it sorry disrespectful. Is you know, can you explain to me what what it's about? So, unless we explore those things, trust will be eroded. Incredibly difficult to put it back. I, I, I will come back into this because fundamental, um, you know, to all of what I'm about to say is this notion of of trust. I struggle with, with what it is, but I don't know what trust is, by the way. I know it's an emotion. I know it's an instinct. Um, I know it's something that we have um, uh, uh, as part of the kind of human relationships. But it, it's odd that we trust some people and we don't trust others, even though we, they have no reason not to be trusted. There's an instinctive part of our, our, our um, uh, neuroscience that is actually kind of uh, breaking down. I'm sorry. I, I know I'm going really fast in this, so there's so much I want to get through. Um, but this notion of trust is also comes confidence. If you trust a team, there's confidence, and confidence for me is a is again another energy. I see confident leaders. Whenever I, I never believe what people tell me about their leadership, about their management, or about their, you know them as a, as an organization until I see them, until I watch them, until I you know kind of um, I do kind of ethnography. I, I I go into the front line and and I see and I believe and I feel and I think uh, rather than just listen to what they say. Confidence, I can see it. Whenever a, a confident leader comes into the room, people's shoulders go back, people smile, people look up. People are energized. People start to talk, to question. They're able to speak up at any moment. The opposite of confidence is arrogance. If you're a manager and if you're arrogant, uh, then what happens is that people stop talking. People's shoulders will drop. People will look up. Um, and if you're, you're you're managing or leading by emails, for example, or WhatsApp chat or wherever the um, messenger chat is, you're not building confidence. You're certainly not building trust. And you're probably de-energizing as a result of it. I think for me, the number one disease I've seen organizations particularly for this last you know, COVID period, is that we're relying more and more on chat, more and more on WhatsApp. I have a senior director in Lloyds Bank uh, who hires people through WhatsApp and fires people through WhatsApp. So he doesn't do face-to-face at all because he's a techie. He loves the technology. But I said, yeah, but you're a leader of almost 2,500 people. You need to speak to them. It's an opportunity for feedback and feed forward. And he got, wow, that's more efficient. You know, but I, you know, I, 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 they, they're really grateful because I've, I've, I've given them, a, you know, a 20 grand pay rise. I said, it's irrelevant. You've missed an opportunity to inculcate a set of values, vision, trust, safety, confidence. Um, so th- we fall quite easily into the being effective trap, which is it's an easy way of getting to, to 50, 60 people. But it's not the best way. And it's certainly not, not a, um, an effective way to, to deal with human beings. We have to get into that notion of, of, of that one to one, that face to face. And, and it's a challenge for you, by the way, as well, because it was by Harvard Business, not by me, not my research, um, that said for every person you lead, uh, you have to spend at least one hour a week in a conversation face to face. I know it's difficult with COVID, but in normal times. So one hour a week face to face. If you have 50 people, you have to spend 50 hours a week talking to them about their family, about life, about health, about their passions. But, but because, you know, it, it's fundamental. And they say if you don't know an individual goes fishing on the weekend or um, likes to play football on a fiver side, you're not a leader. You're not leading them. 
you're just trying to manage the the thing you call an employee. Um, but if you have 10 people, it's 10 hours. Can you imagine with a school of, you know, or, or an organization of 300 people, how on earth do you get around it? And I'm going to leave that out there because the answer is I don't know. If you're trying to fundamentally influence 300 people, 50 people, 20 people, are you spending 20 hours a week with them? I doubt it. Uh, you're too busy doing emails and, and, and dealing with all the bureaucracy and, and, the, and, the, and the stuff that goes on in organizations. The health and well-being, again, is fundamentally important. And what's like I talk about the mindfulness and the, the, the notion of being treating the symptoms, not getting to the cause, it still has to be in there. We still have to make sure our staff, our teams are okay. And, you know, I'm a morning person. I wake up at 5 o'clock. I do all my creative stuff by, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock. I, I, and then I'm done. The afternoon is usually admin or, or, or silly, boring meetings. Um, because you know, by two o'clock, three o'clock, I'm dribbling. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I, I can't make the right decisions. Uh, my colleague uh, Anne McCann is very much an afternoon person. My other colleague uh, is an is an evening and night person. It is really silly to put a productive meeting on at one o'clock in the afternoon where it doesn't hit me. It definitely doesn't hit Andy, and it certainly won't hit, hit, hit Vicky because we're all at different different time blocks. So even that stuff is is fundamental to 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 what we and how we should be leading and managing. This notion for me of, uh, and the words, the buzzwords on the other side, I won't go into all of them, but the key one for me is ownership. Uh, I love the fact that I'm going to go into it in a minute. It's called POW, P-O-W, um, participation, ownership, and warranty. If you get people to own the process, to own what it is they do in the classroom, to own what it is that they're meant to be uh, striving towards in terms of excellence or performance or output, you'll get it done. If you start to deliver objectives or, you know, you know, what should we cover? I've seen in Google, for example, and it's transferred to other places. We've gone from KPIs, key performance indicators, to OKRs, which is the, uh, you know, objectives and key results. It's out of business nonsense again. What we should be saying to them is what it is, that, what, are we, what are we trying to achieve by the end of the year? What are we trying to achieve with this client? What are we trying to achieve with this, this, this you know, change from one platform to another platform in terms of IT? Who's benefiting from it? So if it's us, it's wrong. If it's the student, the client, then it's right. Then let's go for it. Um, but they need to own it. Ownership increases productivity. It, it increases confidence, increases your new leaders, for example. All of that stuff is really important. Um, <clears throat> let me just, uh, I, I will come back to some of this stuff. And I, I, do, I know I'm going really quickly. This is a, gap, a graph. Uh, and I made this graph up. This is, the, this is over the kind of 20 years or 30 years as an academic. This is probably the, my, my proudest made up graph. Um, it, and it is fictional. Uh, this is CIPD. So the Charter of Institute Personal Development do an assessment every year of, of the employment uh, kind of culture in the UK. So every year over the last kind of 15 years. And every year we are um, possibly, we work the, the highest number of hours anywhere in Europe. So we work on our, an average uh, 53 hours uh, a week, not 40, not 39, not 53 hours on average a week. We have the lowest level of production anywhere in Europe. So we're at the bottom of the league. We work the longest hours, but we, we produce less than anybody else. And we have the highest level of disengagement in the workforce. So almost kind of 76%, and it's go, it goes up every year, by the way, 76% um, of your workforce are disengaged. They come to work waiting to be told what to do and how to do it and what to do, but they're really not that interested in it. They kind of sit there going, oh, really, another day? Oh, I'm glad I'm getting paid 10 pounds an hour because this is really awful work. Uh, of that, that 76%, 19% of your workforce are actively trying to damage and block the organization. So not only are they disengaged, 
They didn't get to a point where let's be disruly, let's kind of break things, let's make sure it doesn't work, let's not turn up to the stuff, let's deliver the wrong stuff. We had coders in one organization, I won't say where, um, stats office, um, where they were actively inputting data that they knew was wrong. They, they, they knew, when they were reading it, they knew it was wrong, but they couldn't be bothered to go back in and change it. And they thought, well, actually, in two or three months' time, it's going to output some really strange data. And we'll, it'll all be fun to watch because it's going to be wrong. And I'm thinking, but surely your job as a statistician is not to do that, is to put in, yeah, but nobody cares, nobody watches it. Well, yeah, don't disengagement. So we're in the wrong level. My graph in front of you, by the way, is, is when a new employee, a new teacher, uh, and, uh, you know, somebody coming into your organization uh, joins the organization. I like to call them Tiggers, uh, Tigger. Now, if you just use the, the, you know, kind of visualize what I mean by Tigger uh, and, 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 and define it, Tigger, bouncy, 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 fun, fun, fun. They don't know the rules. They don't know what they do. They, they're full of energy. They want to make a difference. They're passionate. How quickly do you think in your organization, again, put it in the notes, uh, how quickly do you think your, 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 your Tiggers go into EOs? So EOs is the oh, is an awful place. What a doom and gloom. <laughs> um, it, it's it's could, and I know I put a graph there because the the, the CIPD reckon that it's it, it's it, it, it roughly six months. So your your employees come in as Tigger after after three four five months will turn into the EOs and thinking oh my goodness me what an awful place it is around you. And by the way, if they stay in your organization for longer than twelve months. They literally become the kind of boiled frogs. They become part of the culture. So they stop challenging it. They stop kind of uh, critiquing it. So that's, that's, uh, that, that's, that, that's you know, a, a little bit of, 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 of that. But I would almost say that they don't come in as tickets, by the way. They're very, they, they come in as uh, the idea of, um, uh, of um, because, sorry, they don't come in as tickets. Because I would say uh, two, two weeks, three weeks before they arrive, they get sent disciplinary procedures, grievance procedures, rules and regulations, how, what to do, when to do and what to do it, all the kind of rule stuff, which, which almost kind of takes the shade, of, uh, the, the shine off a, off a tigger in the first place. The one of the questions that I wanted to pause right at the beginning, and I won't do it because it's really cruel, is why should people be led by you? Uh, and if it's because, well, I've been in your organization, you know, 200 years and I've, uh, I've got the badge and I've got the qualification, that, that's the wrong answer. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what you come up with uh, in, in a workshop to, f- to find out what, it, what that looks like. I'm going to show the little video. It's a, it's a, it's a video that I, that I showed to, to vets in, um, and it is about a minute, that I showed in, in London. Uh, and it was about to 500 uh, vet, uh, vets who were running their own business and companies. I looked for an animal example and, so, and see what you think of the message I was trying to, to put away. I won't give you the message, but I'll let you see what you think the message was. Training fees requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behaviour is now set for the rest of their lives. And when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically jump the same level. I'm going to leave you that for the, for the breaking room and, and with a couple of questions. What do you think the lid is? What do you think the message was? And by the way, when I when I did this, the, the message was completely lost with the vets. Uh, even though I kind of I wanted to, to talk about leadership and culture and you know who are the blocks, what, what does the jar signify, what the lid mean. Uh, when I go back on the stage, you know, literally five hundred people put their arms in here uh, and said, you know, I, I have. And I thought, yes, got the message. And they're really engaged. And I said to the one um, uh, person in front of me, I said, okay, so what did you? 
see in, in that short video. And they said, well, yeah, look, Paul, before we go into that, if you put fleas in a jar uh, for three days and put the lid on them, by the way, they die because of the, because of the oxygen de- deprivation. Uh, you, you don't get any lesson from it other than, you know, cruelty to fleas. Um, and, and I said, no, no, you're missing the point. And said, no, no, that is the point. And of course, the huge discussion in the room then about, you know, the level of oxygen that they would need in order to survive for three days uh, came in and would they need this? So that that wasn't what I was trying to, to get at. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm going to leave that. But but if I can leave these these um, kind of some of the fundamental questions um, to talk about, and you don't have to talk about all of them. Uh, I just want you to, to, to think, the first thing is tomorrow morning, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to stop managing? Uh, what are you going to stop doing in order to increase performance? What are you going to, you know, uh, uh, change in your leadership that will get you to, uh, and I want to show you uh, in, in summary, this thing called being above the line. And it's a very, it's the wrong question to ask at this moment. Uh, but being above the line is fundamentally, how do I become more creative, more trusting, uh, 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 more human in the workplace, and less about control and about winning and about power and about ego. Um, so, 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 and I will come, come to that. But, you know, and, and, and how does work feel for you at the moment? How does it look like? What is it? But, you know, instinctively, is it a nice place to be in terms of human? And I always talk about it as a, being a family. Is it like a family environment uh, where, where you, you know, you want to be in charge because you, you want to be in charge. But 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 sometimes it's the kids that's in charge. Sometimes you know you want to go to 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 a um, cinema and they end up you're in a you're in a park, you know, on swings. You, you, how do you adapt? I mean, are you allowing them to adapt? How do you allow the creativity? And do you trust? Um, and, and what is your you know? What are your simple leadership issues at the moment? What are the things that really are causing uh, you problems? And and and, um, uh, and and what are you going to try and improve? There's some of the questions that I, hopefully um, I kind of want to challenge you on uh, because, you know, in the summary that I can bring it back slightly. Is that okay? Krause and all, welcome back, everybody. I'm sure you had some um, excellent discussion in, in your groups. Uh, we've got... Paul back with us. He tells us that he does have man flu this morning in his in his cold cave there as well. So um, you know, huge, huge respect and hats off for, for pushing on through. And you know, I know it's not easy. And there is a, a lot of this man flu going around. That I know it's been in this house. Um, but Paul, we've got um, questions flooding in this morning um for you if if i could begin um vicky vicky rakes who's been in tanya's group i can see that you, you've got a question um for paul Hello. Vicky, you, oh over over to you with your question thanks vicky hi paul thank you hi. really inspiring this morning we were all just saying we could have listened to you for hours <laughs> so that's really positive um I've just got a bit of a question regarding the graph that you showed with that, you know, the dip after six months. Are there any suggestions that you would give to ensure that we maintain and keep that morale and engagement rather than have that dip at a six you know, yeah. month point? What would you give as a suggestion? I think we were thinking of, like you said, all of those added pressures or things that are going on, but just some suggestions as a leader. Yeah, I think, first of all, I think before they arrive, um, I think there are things that, that can be done. And, and, and lots of organizations are now, for example, uh, going to their new employees or their new teachers and going, OK, so you're joining us in next term. Uh, come in and have a chat or can we come and see you or let's have a coffee and talk about what it's like to work and being authentic and, and, and making sure their expectations are not too high. Uh, 
uh, it's like in um, HSBC background working now. Um, unfortunately, they give us what they call, it's called a peacock feathers, where they give this lovely picture of, oh my God, we're so innovative. We're, you know, we're young, we're thriving. When they turn up there, they're all people like me, you know, don't really want to be there. Uh, and it, so the expectations need to be set right, right from the beginning. And to be honest about it, when they arrive, I think it's really important to put them with, with, an, with a, a teacher or an, a, a member of staff that's really positive, that's really enthusiastic, that really wants to make a difference. Because sometimes we put them with people that go, who's got spare time? Well, Paul, uh, I'm not really thinking about the uh, the impact that has on that that, that individual. Um, but but for me, it's, it's as a leader, uh, I would spend the most time with with those individuals in that first in that first six months or seven months, and making sure there are informal conversations, so they are they are able to say, oh God, I've just worked with Paul, and you know he's told me not he told me everything not to do, everything to avoid work, um, everything to kind of manipulate the system so that you don't have to do it. That's not the type of culture. But but you, but you want that honesty, that, that person to come, not to punish Paul, or the, 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 but but say, right, okay, forget that. He's been here too long and perhaps, you know, this is, this is how it's going to be. So for me, the, the one-to-one stuff is incredibly vital. And when I said about, you know, the, the, the hour you spend with every member of staff, that, that that isn't a joke. That, I know that that sounds ridiculous, but but that if you are going to spend hours and you have to spend hours with your team, make sure it's with those those new people. They are your your ambassadors. Uh, and there's a lovely um, uh, piece of work by um, uh, Ted Blake who talks about this notion of you've got two types of people in your organization: ambassadors or assassins. You, you either got people that when you walk out the room, love the school, love what you do, love how you're doing it, love the teaching, uh, and you're, they're the ambassadors, they're your leaders, or, or you've got the, what, what they call um, uh, assassins. They're the people who go, oh, God, Vicky, what you're doing is brilliant. I, I love what you're doing. It's fantastic, honestly. You walk out the room and go, God, she's dreadful. Oh, isn't this awful? God, you know, she hasn't got a clue. They, uh, uh, in China, they call them smiling, uh, smiling tigers, and, I, and I've always used that term because they, they, you know, they smile, but they really want to kind of get you. Um, and, and I know that sounds awful, isn't it? But but it's the smiling tigers are in every organization. The assassins are in every organization. You, your job is to make sure your ambassadors are always energized, protected, and safety. But your job also as a leader is to make sure the assassins don't get chance to damage other people uh, and to bring them on. Because sometimes the assassins are people who've never been listened to. They've reached a point where God, well, I'm really frustrated and fed up. So they're not awful people. They're just people who are frustrated that they've not been uh, challenged. But that dip, by the way, sorry, and I'm, I'm going ahead <laughs> too much. Uh, that dip will always be there. People will always have a dip uh, in engagement and in energies. Your job is, as a leader is to pick that up. And if you're in the front line, if you're passionate about the front line, you'll see it. And then you, then you have to have a little, little bag of tricks in order to, to kind of re-energize them. And that could just simply be a guest speaker. It could be a coffee morning. It could be whatever. But it's something in order to, 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 um, to get them back on board. And, and, and I know one company in, in London, again, I won't mention their name, who actually give people a day off. He just, uh, and uh, it wasn't a public sector, it was a private sector. And he just said, look, we're exhausted, go away. Um, Credit Safe in, in um, uh, Caerphilly uh, told his staff on a Friday, Monday morning, come in with a, with a bag for a five-day overnight. So 250 staff. And they said, you know, Monday, and what he did was hired two charter, uh, sorry, a plane and charter and went to, um, you know, Spain or Marbella or something. Uh, uh, and just said, no, we're all going away. 
And it was carnage because people didn't tell their partners, didn't put childcare in. <laughs> but he said, uh, so it was, a, it was a lovely idea, badly put into practice. But, but he just thought, well, they've dipped, they've sold what they can, their energy's really low, I can't do anything else, I'm going to raise it back up. Human systems, think of family, think how do I, you know, I need just a break. Sometimes it is literally just a break and a walk. Uh, and to get out. Sorry, I'm gonna. I can go on forever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Vicky. Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, I think we could all do with a break to to Marbella right now, can we? Um, <laughs> planned, or, planned or not. Um, lots of questions coming in about the fleas in the jar. I've got a, a question here from um, Gail Shenton. Gail, are you there? Do you want to come in with your question about how you talked about the fleas in your group? Oh, hi. Yes. Thanks, Paul. Fabulous morning. Um, I just we were talking about the fact that with that flea principle as a profession, have we been has the lid been put on us as a profession where we have become so micromanaged by curriculum and by the administrative element of teaching then that are we in danger of not being able to take the lid off and allowing the creativity to get out there? And the worrying thing for me in that was that you said it's generational. So we need to make sure that we don't put our new teachers in that jar because once they're in it, they can't get out. How do we sort of motivate people now to be able to get out of the jar and aspire for better, isn't it? Yeah, Gail, you're, you're absolutely spot on. I think that, uh, and I, that, that's been a worry for me. And I've been talking about this for the last kind of 15 years in Wales because we, we are great at putting lids on. Uh, and, and every every seat of the lid is somebody else. Uh, the lid is all oh, management, it's Estin, it's this, it's government, it's that. It's, they always want to blame other people. And I kept, no, no, the lid is you, the lid is me. Because we think in a certain way and we think we've not been changed all, but actually we have. When I go into schools now, I go, yeah, you can't do that kind of estimate report, isn't it? And you know, when I go to social services, you can't do that because Welsh Government uh, uh, Children's Auditor Commission won't, won't like it. That's the wrong way of thinking. It should be. What can we do to demonstrate to them that we're gonna that we're better than that, <laughs> that we can do more than that, that we can you know we can drive more? We spend so much time on 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 bloody assessing stuff um, and money. And uh, it, that actually, that money could be served better off putting in, in the front line. It's called failure demand. We put so much into the failure demand that actually we forget that if we took the money and put it in the front line anyway, we'd have a better service. But coming back to your point of the lid, once we put the lid in place, it's incredibly difficult to change that. And the culture uh, um, becomes it. There are numerous um, uh, uh, experiments and, and evidence that says, suggest that um, I, there's a lovely video. And again, I can send these links to you, the five monkeys, where, where they take out a monkey having, you know, who's it down for reaching up for a set of bananas until no original monkeys are there. But no monkey will go up and get the bananas because they go, well, why can't we get them? I don't know, but we just don't do that around here. That's not what it's done. Um, and, and that, I'm, I'm afraid, is what we've done in the teaching profession is that we've, we've taken away the classroom creativity. We've, there's so much structure. Uh, so I think for me, our job is, is to start individually, start with you, because um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in that where does change begin, it changes with you. How do you do that? Well, I don't know, small bites, small little bits. You've got to somehow demonstrate that whilst that's important, that structure, that, in, that um, 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 reporting system is important, actually the classroom is vital. And, 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 and using examples, and showing examples of where that's happening, because it, it will be happening in your school without a doubt. <laughs> they shut that door and they go, right, forget that, let's do this. <laughs> let's pretend. And, and that's where you've got to start to really kind of energise and go, whoa, wow, that's superb. 
yeah, it doesn't matter who doesn't follow that. that. That's brilliant. How do we evidence it back to that? Or how do we perhaps manipulate it so that it fits into that? But don't stop doing that stuff. And, and it, it definitely starts with you. It starts in small stuff. And you've got to build safety so that when they when uh, and I, I can't stress that enough, psychological safety is that can we step off this without being punished? Can we step off this without being called an awful teacher or or or, or as a school being classified as you know special measures? That stuff has got to go. It's absolutely ridiculous that we put up with it. Because for me, when you talk about power, power is you. It's in you as an individual to fight back and go, no, we're not going to do that. You know, I always loved Cardiff uh, University when the um, the, the, the Quality Association uh, uh, came in in universities, uh, got decades ago now. Uh, Cardiff University said, well, we're not going to play, we're not going to let you in. <laughs> Where every other university was desperately trying to get an excellent grade in the, in the Boston Cardiff University, said, no. We're not interested. We're really good. We know we are. <laughs> and I, I know that's a sense of arrogance, but I thought, oh, wh- why can't we do more of that? And actually say to these people, stop. No, that's not impacting my child. That's not helping my pupil. Um, so for me, it's got to start with you. It's got to start in small bits. You've got to lead by example. And that, I know that's management jargon again, but you've desperately got to show that you're not there to audit or to investigate or to add another layer of system. In fact, your job is to remove it. Does it help the people? No. Don't do it. What do you mean don't do it? Well, we make it up at the end, <laughs> which is, again, what, what they're doing in banks now. Monzo is a brilliant example where they, they're not following the, the, the financial regulation body because they're saying it's too bureaucratic, it's too slow, it's nonsense, it doesn't help customers. Monzo has quite openly gone, we're not doing that. We innovate by the minute, and if our customer says it's wrong, we'll change it back. But as a federation, we're not interested. They, they, and they're making massive inroads into the banking sector, terrifyingly so, for Lloyds and HSBC. So that's a, it's a wonderful example where you've, you've got to lift the lid up. You're the lid. Don't look at anybody else. You're the lid. Remove the lid and allow people to start to jump up. And when they do jump up, go, oh, that's really high. Well done. Well done. Um, but remember, sorry, I, I will finish. The, 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 the glass, the glass is, is the school. The glass is your culture. The, 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 the organization itself, your school does, is not real. It's a social construct. The glass itself is your, is your values, your behaviors, the fun that you have, the pupils that you get every year, the mix that you get. That's the glass bottle. You can look at another school and go, well, they're doing really good stuff, but it's not your school. Don't look at others in order to, 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 to create your environment. That, that, again, you'll, you'll chase that, that beast forever. The, the, the problems that you've got, you got in your school are, are in your school. The solutions are therefore in your school. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gail. I'm going to follow following with a quick Gwen here that's in the chat from Aaron, and, and we're coming up to um, 11 o'clock where we're going to dip out for a minute's uh, silence. But Aaron Bradley in the chat has said, if you're coming into a new setting where those fleas have been kept in the jar, how can you retrain? How can you, um, you, you know, work with people who have been conditioned to think that they need to stay in the jar to get out? Build forward culture. That is literally allow people to make mistakes. When they make mistakes and challenge you, accept it. Don't think it's it's a challenge to you as your, uh, as a leader. It's actually challenging the system. You've trained. Fi- you've got five year olds. They're going to act like five year olds. Your job is to get them into adult. Uh, um, so take responsibility. And again, participation, ownership, and warranty. Get them to participate in everything. Get them to own it, and it's a guarantee that you'll that you'll get a real change as a result of it. Um, thank you, Paul. We're going to take a short break for a, for a minute silence to remember those 
who fought and gave their lives um, in the war and those who are keeping peace right now. So uh, Diog, everybody, if we can just mute for one minute and we take a minute just starting from, from now. Um, so we're, we're back, Paul. Um, we have a question um, from our Welsh language group. Um, and that question is from Mair, and it's around um, a question of trust. Mair, if you would like to ask your question uh, through the medium of Welsh, Tegwin will be our translator. Equally, if you want to go straight in with, with English, that, that's, that's fine too. I will go straight in with English if that's okay. Um, uh, dear Paul, and lots of the, your um, message around trust really uh, resounded with many of us in, in the group. Um, we've been in the school, in the school here, really working on that and changing our accountability systems, changing, developing our culture so that trust is central um, and um, that teachers um, become the leaders in the classroom. They have more responsibility for the choice of what they do in the classroom. They're not dictated to. They choose their learning. They choose their, you know, the way they do things. They choose their accountability system for marking books, etc. Um, and we've started that from September. The challenge comes um, between that level of trust, accountability, and the tension sometimes that can become between that trust that people want, you know, that I can do my own thing now, thank you very much, and I'll pedal in my own direction, and the how do you get everyone to actually move everyone pedaling in the same direction so you can still move the institution forward in, in, in the way that you want to do. Um, so that's been quite an interesting tension there. I just wondered if you had any, any thoughts about that. Yeah, it's perfect. I, I love the fact that you have a tension. Because, uh, because to me, that's that that symbolises you are trying desperately to move that organisation. You know, democracy isn't perfect. Democracy isn't uh, free from trouble and, pro- and problem. And 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 I suppose as as a as a as a I'm using word deliberate manager, it's easy to try and control people uh, and hide all of that democratic messy stuff. What you're doing as a leader is saying, we well, you know we accept that it's going to be messy. We accept that it's going to be difficult to, to move this forward. You have you you you've got to constantly as leaders have a, a an elevator pitch. So every time you go into a meeting, it, it's almost kind of the sense of purpose we're here as a Welsh school in order to create this uh, and, and that's really difficult by the way I, and I work with the ONS and the MOJ for uh, four or five months to get their sense of purpose and we in the end we visualized it we put it on a, a board and then we went out to the teams to say look this is our sense of purpose this is what we're trying to achieve that you've almost got to do that right from the beginning in order to, to have every conversation about well does that get me to that does that get me to that 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 that, that garden that I want to be in, uh, or or am I, um, or, or are we going in the wrong direction and start to climb a mountain again? That's not what we're we're here for. They almost have to come up with that themselves. By the way, the more you create a kind of, and I, I hate the word vision because vision is desired future state. What does this school look like in a year's time, in three years' time, and in five years' time? It's not one that's impossibility to get there, but that vision brings people together. That, that, that's a sense of we are a well school that we want to develop. Um, I'm making this up. Uh, the next um, Welsh team, 
so we can have athletes in our organization. We have to do everything we possibly can to make sure that we have, uh, 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 the, you know, every player in Wales will, will come from this school, will speak fluent Welsh and be, you know, amazingly talented and, and, and intellectual. That brings people together. That's the conversation you have every time. So never get into the detail. Never get into the uh, into the into how they do it because it's 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 well, well, why are we doing it? Does that that's what your role as a leader is to make sure you you maintain a higher level. And as soon as you start to go into the detail, you'll start making decisions for them. They'll probably be the wrong decisions, and then they'll go, "Ah, yeah, see, she's making the decision for me," and, so, and they'll stop doing it. So the participation level. Every chief executive I go into, my my main job is to keep them quiet, is to stop them speak talking. So he or she in a room, I literally have my my hand on their arm and say, Shh, "Don't say anything. Let them work it out. Let them come up with it." Your job is to create puzzles, not problems or issues, puzzles. And then it's the excitement of solving the puzzle. They own it. Then, then off they go. And, and, and even using that word puzzle rather than problem or initiative or issue or, or whatever, uh, that, that it's a real sense of excitement that you've got to get back into it. Your job is to keep that energy level up saying, I don't know the answer. Uh, it's, it's a lovely phrase, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but you're the head teacher. You should know. Well, I don't know, but I can find out if you want me to, but I'll just feed back more information. You can find out. Go off and try, try and do this. And of course, you have to start removing things that don't matter because sometimes they're overwhelmed with process they, they sometimes they're too tired. Well, I can't do all of it. I can't do this. I can't do parents' meetings. I can't do the reports. I can't do this, this, and this. And you're asking me now to, to lead? How dare you? Um, so you've, you've got to be careful how you position it. But, but once they get that freedom, that level of, of engagement and empowerment, the real sense of I'm in charge here, I can make a difference, it's really hard to put the lid back on. Um, so so the, it, it is tough. Um, sorry, Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm going off on different directions again. <laughs> <laughs> I should be a politician, shouldn't I? <laughs> I'll tell you everything else rather than what, what do you want to know. Did I answer the question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I guess this is, this is me cheating a little bit, you know, with, with, with a follow, following there. It's easier to say when you've been a leader for a long time, oh, I don't know the answer to that, as opposed to when you're new to leadership. Uh, that's confidence. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and even I think if you're new to leadership, you should be saying it more often uh, because it's OK not to know. And I think that's the problem. With, we, we have a sense of when we promote people into a team leader or into a, a, a head of or a, 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 we, we almost assume they know all the answers. That, that's, the, the further you go from the front line of actually teaching or delivering, the less you know. You think you do. Well, I did it for 20 years. Of course, I know what teaching looks like. No, you don't. You did. Not now. And you don't know that class and you don't know that that structure. So you, you should be saying that. I keep saying to people, do not give answers when you get into team leadership. You should be asking more questions. Your job as a leader is to create more leaders, but but also to stop giving answers. Uh, and that's horrific because if you're in a position of, of what they see as authority, and you might know the answer, your idea is to keep coaching it out of them. So, well, what do you think? What would Esther look like? What's going on? What would a parent think as a result of that? But it's, it's, and I, I get it, you know, the longer you're in it, the more you're able to go, well, actually, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> um, but, but, but that's a lovely admission. That's authentic leadership for me. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mike, for that question. We've got um, a question from Helen Redoubt, um, a question around resilience. You there, Thanks, Helen? Janet. Yeah, I am. Hi, thanks, Paul. Thanks for uh, this morning. It was um, very thought provoking. Um, our group, uh, we're discussing your comments about resilience and just wondered whether you could expand on that a little bit for us. Um, I think all of us felt that 
resilience was actually something that was quite important, particularly given, you know, the kind of current COVID situation that we'd experienced, um, you know, both underneath the table, but also on top of the table and something that personally we felt, um, you know, we had to find resilience ourselves. And quite often, you know, we, we, um, uh, relied on that so for example you know I work in a special school with children with challenging behavior so I can go from an incident where someone's kicking me in the shins and spitting in my face to wiping that off and literally then sitting in a strategic meeting where I'm being calm and composed and then that will overrun and then I've got to get in my car and drive home and be like lovely happy fun mum as well at the same time so for me you know and you know, it wasn't just me, it was my colleagues as well. Resilience was quite um, an important term. So you, you know, absolutely rightly kind of challenged us on that. And that led to us kind of reflecting as to whether it is just a consequence of our kind of fast paced lives and maybe it's a societal shift that's happened over time. You know, we talked about relabeling it. So is it not resilience? Is it self-regulation? Am I just self-regulating because I need to because of the things we're experiencing? Um, but obviously, if we just relabel it, we end up in just that, you know, age old thing where we just apply a different label or a different term and we end up in exactly the same position going forward. So we just welcome your thoughts around that, really. No, I, I agree. You're absolutely spot on. I, I love that you, you've gone into real depth of that. There is a video that I want to show you in my summary that will, will, that will summarise this in, 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 a, in a far better way than I can. Uh, resilience is, is, I think, critical for today, you know, with COVID, working from home, all the disruptions. But it's also, for me, highlighted that how awful our organisations are and how we structure them and how we, we deal with people in, in the workplace, you know, um, with, with our you know, contracts of employment, the way we, we, we treat them like cogs in the machine. Uh, and I'm not saying this is everyone, but, but, but when you're a head teacher or you're dealing with instances that you've talked about, for example, you know, uh, we, we, we're, in the military terms, we, 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 have, we have briefing sessions. We have a briefing session in the morning. We have a briefing session uh, midday. And we have a, an end-of-day briefing session. Now, I brought that into social services simply because to stop the social workers going home with the, all the things they had on their mind. There was a place to share, to say, look, I, I, I didn't do that. I failed to do that. You know, I had somebody kicking me in the shins. There was a point where we go, right, okay, we'll deal with it tomorrow because of problem shared, problem halved, all this stuff. It's incredibly powerful. We have an ad hoc debris. We have all of this stuff and structure. But, but looking after yourself is absolutely critical. We, and we don't do enough of it. We work the longest hours. We're under the most pressure we've ever experienced. And we're still not eating right. We're still not looking after ourselves. Our diet is awful. Um, we've got all sorts of stuff that's going on in, in, in our lives that we're not able to share in the workplace. We're, we're, it's almost the work is a separate to, to life. And I'm, I'm, we're advocates in DNA. They're actually, it's the same thing. If you get this right, uh, then, then this works. And, and if you don't get this right, then this in, impacts as well. It has to be a, a, a holistic approach uh, uh, for me. Uh, and again, it's this, this also, I call it above the line thinking. The, 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 if you're above the line, you're creative, you're innovative, you're free thinking, you're lovely. If you're below the line, which again will become clear when I show the video, you're into the control, your, your fear, uh, your, your, your natural instincts kick in to say, okay, so you know, your threat level goes up and you can never relax. You can never, you'll burn out really quickly. I've seen so many teachers and people now burning out as a result of, I'm not enjoying the job. And you know, they go into the profession thinking I can make a difference to, to these, to these children, to these individuals, and end up, you know, absolutely uh, um, exhausted uh, as individuals, and that's not right either. It, 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 it's, it's, it's for me. It's that notion of of of, of we're wasting so much talent uh, in the workplace, and, and, and we're, we're buying perhaps minds and some hands, but we're forgetting this: the heart, 
uh, we come as a complete package. Uh, and that's the bit that, I, that I've been talking about for the last 30 years, and it's got worse in organizations. It hasn't got better. Even though we have all this wellness, and the mindfulness thing, and the, the article I wrote on LinkedIn was, was to remind people, you can have as many apps as you want. You can have many wellness and health programs as you want. You can have many sessions on sleep uh, and nutrition and diet. But if the organization is an awful place to work, it's not going to solve anything. You're treating the symptoms. And you're not getting to the cause of why you're stressed in the first place or why there's this level of angst. You've got to get to the symptoms, uh, the cause, sorry. Uh, and we've got, you know, the, and the symptoms will, will roughly, hopefully, go away. Uh, there's a great organization, sorry, and I, I will rush this in, in London. Uh, you don't have to come in. They don't buy time. They, they, you buy talent. And, and, and their contract is stated around, don't, we don't buy hours. We're not interested in how many hours you work. You can disappear for six months if you want them, as long as you deliver, as long as this is a result. Uh, and they're very clear about it. And they said, that's negotiable as well. But ultimately, on Friday, you're the one answering to the customer, the client, or the person. People work lovely long hours there because they want to. The office space is set up like a home. So there's a kitchen, there's a bedroom where you can go to sleep, there's a, there's a canteen where you can have coffee. All the meetings are done around in what they call kitchen area. It, they're starting to change the notion of what an organization looks like. Staff rooms, for example, become really friendly, warm, fun places to be, not that place you go to because you're desperately trying to escape kids. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm being silly. But the, 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 um, it, 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 we have to fundamentally realize organizations that we've structured are not human uh, and they're unhealthy. And once we start, start with that premise, all the rest of it's sorts in the place then it becomes you know when we put a sleep program on then it actually works then it physically makes a difference because you know Dave Belsford in the in British cycling realized that if you uh, um, if you took athletes mattresses with them wherever they went uh, their performance increased by 21% on cycle track um, and he realized that it was the mattress made the difference because the sleep makes a huge difference if your teachers are not sleeping or they're up until 12 o'clock or you have a culture of email for example, first thing in the morning at seven o'clock and the culture of the email at lasting at night, they're not sleeping, they're not switching off. You've created this monster where, where they're actually quite exhausted when they when they come midweek. Thank you, Paul. You've you've drawn on so many themes that we've we've discussed in some in some previous webinars. Um, and we've got Jane Wilcock there saying in the chat as well, and that's when supervision and leadership is crucial. And we've talked so much about well-being previously, but that that ties so many threads together. But unfortunately, we have run out of time for questions this morning. There are loads more in the chat. So I'm really sorry if you've had a burning question for Paul and you haven't had time. But um, I think you've left us boosted and energised and above the line, Paul. But um, just a a little bit of a summary now from you before over to Tegwin for for thanks and and holy vow. Thank you very much. Could I just leave the offer out there that, that, that you can... Um, contact me. I mean, I, I will look at the question now before we before we, uh, we all disappear, and hopefully that that will stay there. But uh, um, but but yeah, look, you know, it, uh, more than willing. I'm I'm kind of quite passionate about this cool subject, and I'd love to change an element, a bit of Wales, uh, to this kind of more human side of it. What what, what I want to show you, and and I tried to show you before, I'm run out of time, and I just want to show you one little video. It's called "Being Above the Line." It is location, location, location. Brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Group. Find them on the web at www.conscious.is. Animation by Graham Franks, www.grahamfranks.com. One question that conscious leaders ask themselves over and over is, where am I? To support leaders in locating themselves as they ask the question, where am I? We offer this tool. 
a line, a simple black line. At any moment, all leaders and all people are either above the line or below the line. Our location describes how we're being with what is occurring in our life right now. If we're above the line, we are open, curious, and committed to learning. If we are below the line, we are closed, defensive, and committed to being right. Stop right now and simply ask yourself, where am I? In this now moment, am I above the line or below the line? Typically, when people are below the line, they believe certain things about the world. For example, they believe there is not enough. It could be that there's not enough money or time or space or energy or love. People below the line also believe that their story about the situation is right. People below the line also believe that there is a threat out there. Something or someone is threatening their desire for approval, control, or security. And people below the line see the situation as serious. The deeper below the line they are, the more serious things look. People below the line tend to behave certain ways as well. They tend to cling to an opinion, find fault and blame, gossip, explain, rationalize and justify, get overwhelmed, and avoid conflict or pursue conflict for the sake of winning. When people are above the line, they believe that learning and growing are more important than being right. They believe that all people and circumstances are their allies, here for their growth. They believe that from a distance, almost everything is funny. People above the line live in curiosity, listen deeply, speak unarguably, question all their beliefs, and live a life of play. Now, knowing what you know about being above or below the line, where are you? One thing to know as you consider this question, we are hardwired to go below the line. Literally, our brain is programmed to perceive threat, and when it does, a chemical cocktail courses through our veins, and we go below the line. This reaction was designed to help us survive in the presence of a real threat to our physical survival. An issue for modern day leaders is that often our brains can't tell the difference between a threat to our physical survival and a threat to our ego or identity. We react and get defensive when we experience a threat to our ego. So in many ways, being below the line is natural and normal. But when we are below the line, we're not in a state, literally brain state, of high creativity, collaboration, innovation, and relational connection. We're simply trying to survive. Leaders today can't thrive if they're in survival mode. So the first activity of conscious leadership is location, location, location. In this now moment, where am I? Telling ourselves and others the truth about our current location begins the great conversation. To that 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 picture there, I mean that's that's a heck of a picture to to, to kind of summarize and leave you with. Uh, but for me, it is knowing that you're that, first of all that that, that there's a line. Uh, and my, my question to you: If we're in kind of real time and real space and face to face, but uh, say so where are you now? Where, where are you? Are you below the line or above the line? Uh, and 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 because we're we're in a learning process, I, I, hopefully you'd be slightly above the line. But a lot of us survive uh, and spend our day below the line. We're looking at conflict. We're looking at negativity. We're looking at trying to control the, the environment that we're in, or tro- control the staff, or control the outputs. That's the wrong place to be in as a leader. You have to get above the line. But I almost saying it's impossible to be above the line constantly as well. Can you imagine how much energy and uh, and, and and life uh, uh, would take place? I have a colleague, uh, Christina Bill, who works with us in, in, in um, DNA. 
a, 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 a former actress, a singer, playwright, uh, uh, an incredible creative spirit. She is constantly, but I've never seen it below the line. So when she comes into a room, she energizes the room. She lights up the room. Uh, and But I find it really hard to work with her. <laughs> Because it's it's irritating. It, it's, she's always constantly happy. I like a bit. Of, I like a bit of negativity in my life. You know, and, and it sounds really odd, doesn't it, that, that I'm even saying that? But sometimes being above the line constantly, I, I don't know. Is it right? Is it is it is it real? But but what I'm I'm aware of is that when we go through this program with with execs and leaders and directors and special forces, is that they now say, oh, "I'm below the line. I need to go for a walk." And below the line, I need to rethink or stop doing what I'm doing. Um, or, or they say, oh, I had a great conversation that was above the line today with my team. It almost becomes a really easy way of explaining. Uh, and that's what you've got to be in leadership. You've got to be the passionate one. You've got to be the trusting one. You've got to know when to step back. And if you're below the line, it's a lovely little indication say, my natural state is to be below the line. I'm struggling. I'm going to stop now. I'm not going to go into that meeting. I'm going to do something else. Because it isn't about winning in, in social systems. It is about collaboration. It is about co-evolution. Uh, it is about the, this notion of, of, of actually doing stuff and make a difference, not just filling a formal process. And so just, just, you know, in summary, just please, if you can remember uh, that, but, but ultimately, you know, my, my summary, oh, wrong one. That's my, my, um, <laughs> that's my next slide. My summary is, is, is have a sense of what, what it is you're going to talk about. Don't go into rooms thinking you have to talk about the detail. You don't. As leaders, it is about the bigger stuff. It's a much more about uh, all of it. I'd be, I'm careful about the word pride because for me, pride sometimes can be it's one of the top deadly sins, isn't it, according to, to, to religion. Uh, pride is, is, can be quite arrogant and quite negative. But a sense of pride is, is, is almost, again, quite good. Being proud of what you do is quite good. But also be proud that the fact you don't know what you're doing is, is good. Love, I put the word love in it because most of the people I deal with, you know, certainly in, in senior levels, forgive me, are men. Uh, it's a, a fluffy, woolly word, love. But, but, but love what you do, love people. If you don't love people, you shouldn't be in the role of leadership. You, you, you have to love people. If you love systems, processes, and procedures, if you love IT, then, then, then go off and do that. Don't lead people because you cause damages. Have a set of values that you live by, that you act by. Don't write them out. Don't have to, you don't even have to tell them. I'm, and I'm fed up of telling, you know, certainly South Wales and Gwent Police, that you know, values are not something that's PR and, and you write on a, on a website. Values are something that you actually live. So if you want to trust people, trust them. If you want to have integrity, you know, live it out. Um, but ultimately, all of this is about people. It's about change. And I picked up the, uh, the lovely kind of expression in, in police. Uh, I won't say it fully. Uh, JFDI, which is just flip and do it. Uh, they don't use the word flip, obviously. Um, but, but make decisions. You know, and, and one thing I've taught, been taught by special forces was this notion that if you make a decision that's the wrong decision, make another one. But what you don't do is let others make the decision for you. And, and in the teamwork and in the role that you're doing, uh, you've got to get the teams to make decisions for you by doing by doing stuff and then helping them and then driving them uh, uh, and making sure that, that there's a fail, fast, fail, forward culture. There's, there's this notion of, okay, you made a mistake, but what did you do about it? Not what can I help you to, to change? It, it, what are you going to do about it? What, what are you going to now uh, explain to the parents as a result of not doing this? But the ownership of passion is important, but it always starts with you. Change begins with you. And when does it begin? It begins when you want it to, to begin. We, we, we have that control to, 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 to make a difference and, and, to, um, uh, and to make our workplace a really exciting place again and to make it a really healthy place again. Uh, and that boils down to that definition of leading, of actually creating more leaders. Uh, is your job as a leader. Thank you.
That's excellent, Paul. Thank you uh, very much. Diachavawr iawn, um, E.T. Paul. Um, what can I say? Because that was a jam-packed uh, session. Uh, somebody earlier on in the chat said, I think we should have had two sessions. I would probably say we would need more than, than two, because um, certainly that, that video at the end um, w- was, again, a topic of conversation. So I'm sure that lots of people will take um, um, a number of things from the session um, th- this morning, um, whether it's the the flea analogy there or, or, or the line, uh, you know, are we above, are we below? And as you said, can you be above or, and maintain that or do you need to dip um, in and out? As I said, there's just so, so much uh, to, to think about, about what, 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 what you've You've shared with us this morning. So a huge thank you, Dirk N. Vauriti, and Amsterdi, for your time and for the um, excellent presentation. Um, can I also thank, thank Janet for the excellent facilitation of the, of the QA? Um, uh, very, very well done, Dirk Iti Janet. And thank um, everybody who's been online this morning. We do understand and appreciate the difficult situation that you are leading in. And, um, and we are grateful for you finding the time to join us this morning um, with Dr. Paul Thomas um, to, uh, to give a little bit of time to your thinking um, to make sure that um, you, you have that opportunity uh, and, and space and time uh, to think. So, diolch yn fawr iawn i chi am ymuno gyda ni unwaith eto bod yma. Gobeithio'n eich bod wedi mwynhau'r bennod hon o bodlediad yr Academy Arwynyddiaeth. Tan ysgrifiwch ar Spotify, podlediadau Apple neu Google a pheidiwch byth â cholli penod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.